Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hey, this is Like Trees Walking. We're uh, a podcast. And this is Michael J. Nelson. With David Berge. And we're pretty excited. I mean, I am. I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I'm man. I'm pumped. You, you looked stoked. Couple, I mean, it's our fourth season. We're yeah. back. Yep. And you look stoked because you came in and you were wearing that muscle shirt. You had just come from the gym. <laughs> You're oiled up and ripped, and you're just stoked, man. Ugh. You're ready to go. Yes. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a fourth season, and we thought, you know, we're going to start off this fourth season with uh, with a bang. We're coming strong. We're we're leading strong. We're not just going to, you know, get talk about sex robots again. Although people <laughs> people would love us to go back to the redress that. I mean, there was oh, it, it was you know Our people most were interested. Downloaded podcast ever. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sad. You people are sad. No, we we love you. You're not sad at all. But sometimes, rather than just talk about sex robots and make dave eat disgusting green powders we have to dive deeper and we did that we did that we already did that that's i'm giving away the secret so dave why don't you set this up so i uh you know this one has been on my radar for a little bit of time uh and just thinking about what you know what do we do with the uh the old testament you know we're uh, we're uh we're a show about all the big questions, and I think when you talk about the big questions as they pertain specifically to Christianity, uh, the Old Testament is one that comes up all the time as sort of this is, you know, it's, it's uh, quote-unquote, you know, problematic, and what do Christians do with that? But even people, you know, we welcome all comers, of course, here. People who aren't Christians, they go, you know, what's up with that? I mean, uh, some stuff happens, God's smiting and angry and wrath and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, uh, um, Skip right to the nice guy. Yeah, let's get to the nice guy, J.C., you know, JC's cool. Uh, uh, the Old Testament stuff. Uh, and, and this is not, you know, this isn't some, uh, uh, you know, anti-Christian screed. This is within the church itself. Very prominent voices, uh, for a long, long time. There's always this temptation to downplay or be embarrassed by or sort of shove the Old Testament, uh, in the closet and, you know, just leave it buried there and, and, and not deal with it. And so, um, there was a, a recent kind of prominent example about that within the American Christian world that I thought, wow, this would be really, really interesting to talk about not just you and me mike of course we could you know riff on this and you know give you give you guys a solid 20 minutes 15 20 minutes of content on this uh before we switch to something silly but i I, let's let's go to the experts yeah let's go to the experts and forget to do that sometimes we (laughs) do we we rely on our own on our own faculties, such as they are. But yes. this time, we're going right to the source. So I had met uh, three years ago at a uh, preaching um, symposium uh, institute at uh, my, my seminary alma mater, uh, Princeton Seminary. Um, they brought in a, a prof- Old Testament professor at Candler, uh, which is the uh, theological school at, at Emory University in Atlanta, a guy named Brent Strawn. And he gave this really, really great series of lectures on the Old Testament uh, which it, which he was working finishing a book um, that it turned into, which is really good, very accessible, um, and you'll hear us talk about that. And I thought, wow! So this kind of topic that's coming up, um, he addressed this very accessibly, deftly, engagingly in this context. Well, I would love to talk to him about that, share that with the audience. And so I reached out to him uh, uh, via email. I had tweeted at him a couple of times about it, just sort of like har har har. Uh, but I reached out to him via email, and he very graciously agreed to be interviewed on this podcast. And um, he, he, in a very engaging way, holds court, uh, with us. And so we are going to break this into two parts. Uh, it's, it's that meaty and rich that we think if we gave it to you in one serving, it would be like, um, too much. You like, get, uh, you get the gout. 
to you bring up an old. <laughs> it's caused by rich foods, and, right? Isn't that the old? Uh, I don't know, but let's go with it. You would get the gout. Gout, gout is an old uh, uh, comedy uh, uh, disease that causes you to have to sit quietly with your legs up. But it is real, and people do suffer from it. But it is, it's caused by too much rich food. So we don't want to give you gout, no. for heaven's sake. You don't want to be part of a Marx Brothers comedy. We don't want to be 20s. liable for the gout in yeah, our podcasting so, audience. So we're breaking it up. So we'll give you uh, we'll give you a very substantial section uh, here, and and then we'll come back uh, with the next section in in our next episode. And uh, these will these will stand as some of our finest work to date, I believe, uh, mainly because someone else is doing the work for us so <laughs> isn't that the beauty you just hand the ball off exactly and then you stand back i am you know if you think about um like on the uh, to use a sports analogy you know uh our brent strawn our our interview subject he is lebron i'm the mario chalmers um who was the point guard on those heats team heat teams who was so horrible but he was a champion because he did he knew how to do one thing really well you and Pass your, the ball you and your LeBron. sports ball. You and your, <laughs> I don't get it, man. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's not true, but it is an engaging interview. And he's obviously a very good speaker. He's good at what he does. And I think you will enjoy both parts of it. Um, I know you, I don't know. I mean, as much as I can know anything, I know you'll enjoy both of them. As I hope you do as much as I enjoyed doing it and, and listening to uh, Brent speak. And so here I am, Mario Chalmers, passing the ball to Brent. Or LeBron. LeBrent. I am on the line with Brent A. Strawn. The, I don't know if you're a distinguished professor, but I will refer to you as a distinguished professor of Old Testament at uh, Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. I met Brent uh, three years ago at Princeton Theological Seminary. I was at a preaching event. He was uh, lecturing and giving a lecture on um, what eventually became his book, uh, The Old Testament is Dying. And I can't remember this. What's the subtitle, Brent? A Diagnosis and Recommended Treatment. A Diagnosis and Recommended Treatment. And uh, so, which was uh, just a fascinating uh, series of lectures. And it, it I, I got to kind of not warn you, but but encourage you. So we interviewed um, a philosophy professor, uh, Gordon Graham, on this podcast a, a while ago. And his book was in the mid four millions on its rank on Amazon. And after our interview, jumped to the mid three millions. So hey, that's legit. <laughs> so we twenty five percent. We are king. We are kingmakers. <laughs> it's like the Oprah boost. Um, yes, we yes. take and uh, this. I'm sure your text is. Uh, I, I assume you're at least in the top million. So, well, one can only hope. But not only that, but the fact that you call me distinguished professor that I've already felt boosted in multiple ways. <laughs> That's our goal in this podcast is to is to build people up. And so the reason uh, Can I share that with my wife, by the way, that I'm distinguished. Yeah, oh please do. Please, family, please do. Other family, extended family. Yes, yes. You are a you're not just a professor. Well you're be you were an assistant professor, right? Full professor, actually. Yeah, full. so you were yeah, so you were assistant. Now you're full. You got the tenure. That's um, right. You never have to work again in your life. So it's exactly. a, it's a <laughs> I'm not. No, just hanging out on a podcast. <laughs> and you're currently on sabbatical, right? That is correct. Oh, man. Which is the best thing about being a professor. You know, there's better salaries, but sabbatical is hard to beat. That's that's fantastic. So uh, we're going to delve into um, uh, really what I want to talk about reflects um, uh, on your work uh, that that came out. And this is uh, I've seen this a, a few times pop up and it's particularly it it 
it focuses on one person initially, but I think the topic is so much, much broader and you could speak so well to it. But um, so several months ago, there was in certain circles of the Christian world, there was a little noise made um, by this very prominent Atlanta uh, church pastor named Andy Stanley. So he's right. He's right around you. And, and Andy Stanley, uh, he pastors this this huge church called North, North Point. Um, uh, a few of my friends from seminary are, are so I don't want to bag on Andy Stanley. He, you know, he's written a couple books that a couple of my friends from seminary really love. I haven't read them, but Deep and Wide and Simple Church. I think those are the two books. So a very influential, um, a, a very influential voice uh, within American Christianity. And he, and he gave this sermon, I think, as he was in the process of working on this book called Irresistible. And so this book came out for him of this place of uh, concern about the rise of the nuns, which we've talked about on this on this podcast. But more and more uh, Americans, especially young Americans, are identifying as having no religious affiliation. And that's even more marked amongst young people. And so, you know, Stanley said, well, why is this happening? What can we do about it? And one of the areas that was identified of being why people, you know, have no religious affiliation is the Old Testament. It is, you know, problematic, as people say. Um, and so he says, listen, for Christians, this doesn't have to, you know, for our uh, evangelistic strategy, this doesn't have to be that way because, you know, Jesus came and he is the end of the law. And so the Old Testament, it's, it's, we can stop placing so much emphasis on it. He used the words, we can unhitch ourselves from it. And he got a lot of flack for that. And then he released this book, Irresistible, and uh, wrote an article in Relevant Magazine saying, why are Christians building uh, monuments to the Ten Commandments? Uh, those don't apply to us anymore. And um, and so, I, and I heard him on the Kerry Newhoff podcast kind of addressing some of these issues. And he said, listen, people, the, the new atheists, they all hate the Old Testament. You know, Richard Dawkins referred to the God of the Old Testament as, you know, the worst, most unpleasant character in fiction ever. Uh, you got Genesis 1 and 2 and science and, you know, Genesis 3 and the garden and a talking snake. He's like, listen, 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 we can get sort of move beyond that stuff, unhitch ourselves from that and just point people to Jesus and the resurrection. And that is going to be a more effective evangelistic strategy for the church moving forward. So we got to kind of distance ourselves in some way from the Old Testament in order to move forward and reach this culture. That was a mouthful, Brent. That was, but... What do very, you say? I think I fairly summarized what he's trying to do. Um, I, think, I think so. That's that's my understanding as well. And, uh, you know, the, as you say, this this sermon, this one sermon that was a part of a series did kind of set a number of people off, but... Um, and and he seemed to backtrack a little bit on some of the subsequent things just in, in insofar as he said well listen to more things don't don't cast stones on just one sermon but as i followed some of this and and read a bit online myself uh, several several articles really in relevant uh, magazine uh, I don't feel like he's backed off. I think he's sort of re-entrenched. And the business you just said about the Ten Commandments most recently is is even more of the same. Um, you know, just uh, kind of digging in and and not uh, loosening up on that point. But uh, as I say, just kind of you know strengthening the battlements. And you know, we don't need the Ten Commandments. We need just we just need the one commandment that Jesus gave in John thirteen to love one another. That's right. The the platinum rule. It's not the golden rule. It's the platinum no, rule. Platinum, which is kind of almost as good as the highest level on Delta flyer. <laughs> <laughs> you're almost there so there's got to be one better commandment than the platinum have you reached platinum commandment status yeah, that would be 
I haven't, but you're an Old Testament professor, so you're <laughs> you're not even golden rule status. You're silver or bronze, bronze age rule. Well, you know, you've you've thrown out a big thing there, and you're right. It's not it's not just Andy. I I want to say that first that um, it goes way back in the history of the church. This this sort of phenomenon that uh, the Old Testament is problematic or or needs to be curtailed or chastened or eliminated in some way. And we can talk more about that in a second. But but I do want to say to the listeners that. Um, if the conversation is get a little pointed about Stanley, it's because he's the one who's made a lot of this of late and he has massive influence. I mean, uh, I appreciate uh, the plug of my book. Um, but let's face it, no one's going to read my book. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it in one of his comments in relevant magazine, he was kind of, uh, picking a little bit of academics, you know, oh, a few academics got mad at this and, you know, um, but then he goes on to say that he really wants to know where he's wrong and he wants to do things together and so on and so forth. And so it seems like the, the, the duty of people like y'all and people like me and in my line of work more generally is to, to pay attention to statements like this and really think, are they right or not? And do they need more nuance? And that that is actually part and parcel of what Stanley says he wants, which is to be, you know, informed ultimately on what is right and to do what's right together. Right. And in my judgment, what he's saying about the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments could not be more wrong. Oh, all right. So that's that's a strong statement, Brent. So, you know, what like so delve delve into that. What, why? What, how could he not be more wrong? You know, why is Andy wrong to say that doesn't that doesn't apply to us anymore? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard to know where to even start. I mean, especially for someone who's as smart as he is and who has a seminary degree, I, I'm just sort of shocked at how naive a statement like that is vis-a-vis the history of the church and um, really the text of the New Testament alone. Um, so I have here in front of me on my on my desk a copy of the Greek New Testament, the, the, the edition is uh, that, that everyone uses for study and for translation of the New Testament to English and whatever translation you, 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 you use, they used this version of the Greek New Testament, the Nestle Elan version, yes. which is now 28th edition. Oh, NA 28, good. I wouldn't want it to be 27. You don't want 27 because <laughs> there's crucial things. A few commas have been corrected. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they're happy to sell you a new copy for about $75. Yeah, so that's very, very kind of them. So in every, every single page, I'm flipping. Can you hear the? Can I can hear. hear I hear some flipping every or what sounds like a book flipping. Has uh, literally, uh, you know, numerous dozens of references. Now, some of the in the margin, some of these are cross references to other texts in the New Testament. But but so many of them are references to the Old Testament. And these, I need to be clear uh, with y'all, they aren't direct citations all the time. Direct citations of the Old Testament and the New Testament number in probably the hundreds. But a lot of these are allusions that are happening just at the level of the language itself, particular verbs in conjunction with other nouns and so on and so forth. 
that these illusions have been painstakingly analyzed for really 28 editions of the Great New Testament. <laughs> and these number in the thousands. And to talk about the New Testament simplistically as if it has left the Old Testament behind is to actually be massively ignorant of the actual, the actual linguistic you know, um, suppleness with which the New Testament authors constantly engage the Old Testament. So here's one way I think he's wrong, just to, just be a, to start with a particular point. His comments are... Um, unnuanced to, to, to be frank. So, you know, when you, when you pit the Sermon on the Mount against the Ten Commandments, it's just, it's just unnuanced. Why can't Christians have both? We, we've had both for approximately 2,000 years. Or John 13, the one commandment, as if that's the only thing Jesus says in the New Testament that's an imperative. Of course it's not, for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's just as a massive, in my mind, um, favoring without justification or even argument uh, a certain understanding of the book of Hebrews. And uh, granted, we might want to say more about it later, but granted Hebrews might come closest to this kind of supersessionist or what it, whatever kind of other word we want to use, eradicationist kind of understanding of the Old Testament that Stanley seems to be advocating. But even Hebrews um, doesn't go as far as I think he does, um, and certainly makes its case constantly with reference to the Old Testament. So, yeah, I think that that's you know, in in hearing him, he leans very, very heavily on the Book of Hebrews for it, his articulation of of the understanding of what's the relationship uh, between the two covenants and uh, this real radical discontinuity. I, I think it would be interesting for our audience to hear you trace a little bit of the history of that in the church. And and before you say that, I just want to say, yeah, that his, when, when I've read and, and listened to him speak, uh, read these several articles, listened to him speak, uh, he doesn't seem to have like anything to do with the history of how the, the old Testament and the law, the 10, 10 commandments, particularly how those have been treated in Christian theology over the centuries, or even, you know, in the reformation era up, um, and, you know, these uses, you know, the, 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 the three uses of the law or whatever he, he, he just kind of, to me, what I've seen skips over all of that. And so it doesn't even talk about how has the church since the reformation even understood the role of, of these commandments and the law in the life of the church and how does his approach differ or relate to that, um, and right. and he's definitely a, a, a smart guy. Uh, I yeah, I learned um, that he went to Dallas Seminary, which is of course known for dispensational theology. So dividing kind of salvation history or the history of the world into these very clear, distinct dispensations or ways of God acting. And so I wonder, is his I don't know enough about dispensational theology or his theology to to know, but is this kind of just dispensationalism turned up to eleven, like? we have this very radical break in the new covenant. And so uh, the other dispensations we leave behind, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It it very much sounds like that to me. Um, And here's the, here's the problem with that kind of break language is that he sort of wants it both ways. and, And that's, what's hard. And I think that's where in my own book, for instance, and some of my own thinking of late about the relationship of the testaments, there are better ways than what he's he's doing because what he wants is in a sense both ways he he wants certain aspects of the bible to function as the word of god he he claims that and claims certain adherence to certain um statements of faith about scripture um even even statements about inerrancy but then these statements that he makes are really um you know 
Me, me thinks he does protest too much. I mean, when he, he talks about saying that uh, we can no longer um, have any sort of recourse to Old Testament imperatives. So commands of any sort, including, I would think, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, or any sort of covenant language, which he calls contract language, which is, I think, an unfortunate kind of um, statement, and, or even the Old Testament promises. Now, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't talk about, you know, the, the Old Testament as um, instructive as he sometimes does or examples of faith as he sometimes does and then undercut it in those ways. You got to think of something more synthetic and helpful, but it's hard. It's hard. So the thing about his apologetic is that I, I appreciate the idea, and I know y'all are interested in this too. I appreciate the point of trying to help modern people better understand God's ways in the world and those ways in Scripture. But cutting out a part of the Bible, um, especially the majority of the Bible, kind of abrogating it or superseding it in some way is not the way to go because the New Testament itself will not survive the surgery. Let me give you an example. So not only these thousands of, of, of allusions in the Greek New Testament, but let's go back all the way to the second century to a guy by the name of Marcion. It's funny because in one of these relevant art magazine articles, uh, Stanley says, well, it took us 20 century, centuries for the church to, quote, officially disengage from the Old Testament, <laughs> like, wait, when, was, when did this happen? <laughs> I missed the, the, the tweet, you know, or, or whatever, the official uh, disengagement, you know, but it, the church hasn't officially disengaged. Quite to the contrary, the church had the chance to officially disengage in the second century with this guy named Marcion, and the church rejected it. So who was Marcion? He was uh, really one of the famous arch heretics of the church. And his heresy was basically that he thought the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Stanley may not say that, though he does talk about God relates differently in the New Testament than the Old Testament. And so these sorts of fissures that are opened up are very much in Marcion's, um, you know, spirit, if if not his actual um you know, theology proper. Anyway, Marcion, uh, his, his two famous books or works, uh, none of which have survived, but which are preserved in various ways in, in, in quotes of the church fathers. One was called the antitheses where he basically set an old Testament text against the new Testament text. Um, this is, this is also felt in, in Stanley's rhetoric, uh, where you kind of get, well, Jesus gave the one commandment to love. Um, but you know, why do we need 10? Or uh, it picks up on Matthew's Sermon on the Mount with the antithesis there. You have heard it said, but I say to you, right? So that was one thing. And the second um, work that Marcin was well known for was what he called the gospel. It's important that it's singular, the gospel. This was his version of the New Testament, and it was not complete according to our versions of the New Testament. It did not have four gospels, but only one, the gospel of Luke. Already you can wonder about that. Probably Matthew was just too Jewish for him. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that that Stanley appeals so much to the Sermon on the Mount for this supersessionism is just wrongheaded right there. I mean, that's where Jesus says, you know, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, I tell you, not until you know, not one iota of this law will pass One away. jot or tittle. 
jots or tittles. No jots or tittles. Yes. Huh. One of the great phrases in the Bible, really. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, also unless your, your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees and, and where we get all the references to just as it is written, just as it's written according to the prophet, et cetera. Anyway, I'm digressing. No, I love the digression. Sermon on the Mount. No, yeah. Too Jewish. Matthew's too Jewish, but, but even Luke itself was too Jewish for him. So he couldn't have all of Luke. He had to have an edited version of Luke. Cut out the first two chapters, for instance, which sounds just <laughs> old testamentish, right? I mean, yeah. All sorts of songs of, you know, the, the, the songs which are just echoing the, the Old Testament. I mean, you know, like pulled straight from there. Exactly. You got all these old people who can't have kids and then suddenly they have kids and then they're <laughs> praising God for it. I mean, it sounds just like Abraham and, and uh, Sarah and, and sounds like Hannah and Eli, mm-hmm. right? And all, all these people. I mean, not Eli, El- Elkanah, sorry. Eli was the priest. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so he couldn't have those those sections of Luke. He had to edit Luke down. He had to get rid of the Old Testament stuff. His gospel started in, in chapter four. Jesus just drops out of heaven like a bolt from the blue, you know. And then he only had 10 of the epistles of Paul. He didn't want the pastorals. And again, he edited those um, epistles of Paul to get rid of Old Testament allusions. What, what does that mean? You The New Testament in Marcion's approach, and he's not the only one doesn't survive the surgery, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you can't survive the surgery of extricating. That's how thoroughly ingrown and interwoven, to quote one of my former colleagues, Luke Timothy Johnson, that the, the Old Testament is the symbolic world within which the New Testament authors lived and breathed. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just say that's, that's gone. I mean, it makes no sense. So anyway, Marcion tried to say this, basically. He was excommunicated, and, and he was addressed and corrected by some of the most famous apologists in the history of Christianity, Irenaeus early on, and then Ter, uh, Tertullian. Tertullian wrote five books against Marcion, in which he demonstrated all the problems that obtained for Marcion's view, how it, it ruins the doctrine of God, how it ruins a understanding of justice, how it ruins an understanding of Christ. All these things um, get go wonky if you don't have the testaments together. And I want to point out that at the end at the end of this work, it's five five books. So so book four, Tertullian is just showing off at this point. Yeah. Is, you know, hey, fine. You know, Marcion only accepts the Gospel of Luke. I'll prove him wrong just with the Gospel of Luke. And then in chapter in book five, he says, you know, Marcion only likes these epistles of Paul. I'll, I'll prove him wrong with just these epistles of Paul. And that's because Tertullian is able to see the the whole warp and woof, the whole in my uh, book, the, the analogy I use, the whole language of Scripture, and is able to speak it fluently in a way that Marcion can't. And I fear that this is uh, where Stanley's heading with his um, apologetics, his own understanding of the modern mind and how to speak to it. That's dictating the scripture rather than vice versa. Uh, uh, well, so he maybe should have read some uh, Tertullian uh, before he, uh, you know, yeah, before he I, continued I, on this quest. This is seriously, he should have read Tertullian because Tertullian is in this, he's not the only one. So these sorts of things that, that modern quote people struggle with, like, Oh, Genesis one and two and three and, and, and science. Okay. So like, let's go back to origin for a minute. Not, not O R I G I N, but 
O-R-I-G-E-N, a very early church father, writes at the end of the second century into the third century, dies 253. This guy is saying already then, no one in their right mind takes the Garden even story, quote unquote, literally. Right. I so, mean, right. I, I mean, so come on, like, you know, you don't need to wait for Darwin to be scandalized by this. You know, I mean, already origins thousands of years before Darwin thinking about the meaning of this story as being far more than just, quote unquote, literal. Right. It's it's like N.T. Wright says um, in, in some of his work on the resurrection, like it, it didn't take modern science for people to understand that when people died, um, they stayed dead. Uh, you know, (laughs) this isn't, this this isn't a breaking news for anyone. So yeah, Stanley's position and, 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 and his wrestling with the old Testament. I mean, the, the relationship, the Christianity and the old Testament Christianity is of course, like a born of this world. Uh, It, 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 I mean, you know, from second temple Judaism, you know, we are a creature of that. And so the old Testament is, you know, Andy doesn't know that though. He's in print in these magazines, Dave. You you you've seen it, where he thinks that Christians hijack—that's the language he uses—or kidnap the Jewish scriptures, as if these are kind of discrete groups, and that the Christians somehow kidnap the Jewish scriptures, and then somehow in the second century they started mixing the two together. Oh, wow. I mean, this is this is just grossly inaccurate. It's historically inaccurate and has bad theological ramifications. That sounds wow. I yeah, I didn't even I hadn't even picked up about the kidnap. That's very strong. That's like terrible, uh, a, a very terrible imagery um, <laughs> to use for our relationship to yeah. I mean, what what is that? Two thirds of uh, you know two thirds of the Bibles uh, that that seventy eight point one percent. But who's counting? Okay. <laughs> Did you say seventy eight point one? Point one, you know, oh, point one. Chapter. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, well, all right. So, you know, that Stanley's position has a very uh, deep and storied history within. It's if he's not a full-on Marcion, he's at least you know playing footsie with that, or maybe uh, Marcion light or Marcion uh, curious. Um, yeah. But but okay. So what what do you say though when he says, listen, apologetically? Um, we can't, you know, if we're going into this culture to try to reach people with the gospel um, and win them to faith in Christ, you know, if we go into this with the Old Testament, uh, it is like a ball and chain around our legs. Uh, you know, we're 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 going to get just embarrassed by new atheists. We're going to be embarrassed by all of this old archaic stuff. Um, why, like, let's just get rid of it. You say you can't survive the surgery. Well, you know, what do you say? Like uh, apologetically, how would we address these, you know, critiques that come from, you know, not most people aren't new atheists, but they they might at least be like kind of go, yeah, they I guess they're sort of right or whatever. Right. Well, great question. I think the answer is how we would do it is carefully, Mm -hmm. um, cautiously, extensively with great nuance and on the basis of the greatest thinkers in the history of the church, not, quickly and brazenly and inaccurately and in unnuanced sort of ways. Uh, uh, you know, the, the new atheists, you know, do we really care? You know what I mean? Do we, you know, do we really care? Are they really driving the conversation? Are they really the people that we most need to, to worry about? Um, 
I mean, they, they seem so smart, and these people are smart. I, I, I have no doubt they're very smart, but they're not smart when it comes to hermeneutics or the interpretation of Scripture or the knowledge of God and, and the tradition of, of the church. I mean, people like Terry Eagleton have shown this, and, and he's just he's just one. I have a chapter on the New Atheists in my own book um, as well. Um, and, and it's, of course, here, here's the point, though. It's not just that's, that's kind of a minor thing. The problem of of the Old Testament is the problem of Scripture. It's it's not these issues that that Andy's worried about, and and not incorrectly. I mean, I worry about them too. I'm an Old Testament professor. You know, it's my job hazard that I have to constantly, you know, apologize and and make sense of the Old Testament for well-meaning Marcionites. You know, mm-hmm. and some of them are not well-meaning. Um, it's not just the Old Testament. These problems live in the New Testament, too. And, and what this bifurcation does is it instantiates an erroneous understanding of the Testaments. It is, uh, also reflects a naivete about the New Testament, as if everything in the New Testament is not problematic to the modern mind. <laughs> the resurrection alone, right, has got to be the most problematic of all things for the, in the New Testament for the modern mind. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I think people understand violence more than they understand resurrection. Yeah. I mean, because they entertain themselves with violence every single day. <laughs> and, and our own violent culture, by the way, is more effective, more brutal, and more graphic than anything you find in the Old Testament. And we amuse ourselves with that. So to talk about the Old Testament's violence is, is a projection, in my, my understanding, in, the, in a Freudian sense. Uh, of trying to dissociate ourselves from our own violent proclivities. Those violent proclivities or violent images or whatever, violent pro- problem of violence, put more generally, that's in the New Testament too. Jesus says all kinds of things that make people uncomfortable if they ever read them, you know, um, which I think they typically don't. And so Jesus is just a nice little guy who wants you to just be a really nice little boy or girl. But the New Testament has these problems too, these scandals of the modern mind, whether it's violence, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. It's pervasive in the New Testament. It's pervasive in the Gospels. It's in Paul, and it's maybe even worse of all in the book of Revelation. So Christopher Hitchens, one of these notable new atheists, uh, he said the New Testament is worse than the Old Testament. So to think about the, this as being an Old Testament problem is to just, it's not helping, okay? It's, it's making it worse. These are biblical problems, but here's the thing. There's biblical solutions as well. Ooh. And so to think about how to answer these problems or, or to, to, to engage in an apologetic sort of way with this material is, in my judgment, best executed at the level of the Testaments together. Not playing them off each other like Marcin would, but holding them together as Irenaeus and Tertullian and, and all the great church fathers and mothers did throughout the course of, of the uh, of the church's long and rich history. There he is. Oh, LeBron. <laughs> oh, yeah. Giving us some meaty stuff, but he's not done yet. No, no, folks, There's we have much a, more to come. Yep. We have a good, good chunk to come. So hopefully we whetted your whistle. Oh, you're not one of those people, are you? <laughs> did we did that come up before? Did we talk no, about people we, who do the the sound? What? I From did know someone when I was young, and it drove me insane. And it actually, as a kid, because you don't know 
are they, am I supposed to be saying that? It, it very much, it irritated and confused me. And it's still doing that to this very day. <laughs> People who whet their whistle. Well, hopefully that whetted your whistle and you're excited to come back next week. Uh, or two <laughs> wait weeks. A uh, wait a minute. What are you doing here? Next, uh, two weeks from now, we, we've committed to publishing fortnightly here on the Like Trees Walking podcast. So uh, Brent is going gonna, is gonna to drop some more knowledge on us. Spit some more knowledge at us. That's right. We have, uh, he's a full professor full. and he's going to be back. And you're going to want to hear part two. So we will be back soon. This is Michael J. Nelson and David Berge. And this has been Like Trees Walking. We'll see you again with the professor.